Welcome to Security All In. This is Sam Curry, and this podcast is all about risk-taking, um, how we take risks as practitioners in our lives, and even how we've all gone all in on security as a discipline at some point in our lives. Uh, I'm joined today by Scott Howitt, a good friend of mine and the CISO at MGM. Scott, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I, I appreciate you joining us. Uh, so maybe uh, I think obviously listeners have got to have made the association between where you work and uh, gambling and uh, gaming, and and you happen to represent security there. Um, feel free to characterize what you do and where you do it differently if I'm not doing it justice, but maybe you could talk about what it's like doing security for some for an organization like MGM. Um, well, I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, my background was retail, and, and uh, that's one of the many things we do. So, obviously, we have gaming. That's what I think everybody thinks of when you think of MGM and our resorts. Um, but we have quite a few that are non-gaming as well. So, you know, we're also a, a large hospitality company, uh, entertainment company. Uh, we have 370 plus bars and restaurants, 170 retail outlets, and a WNBA team. So there are certainly <laughs> plenty of things to do the, to to keep us on the uh, uh, on the edge of what things we should be looking for uh, out in the environment. That's for sure. Yeah, when, I think when we first met, you were at JCPenney actually at the time, and uh, this you're almost a small nation. Looked at the way you just described it, right? Uh, how many countries uh, are you in at the moment uh, as an organization? Right now, uh, we are just in uh, Macau and the United States, and you know we're we're in Mississippi and Maryland and New Jersey, and and about ready to open up a property in Massachusetts and and Michigan. Um, but we are um, you know certainly interested in in expanding that out, and so we'll be opening up some properties with one of our joint ventures in Dubai, and then uh, you know also we're interested in Japan as well. And and uh, I think uh, we, we have touched base in a few places over the years and spent some time together. Last time we saw each other was actually at Black Hat, which was happening in one of your venues. Um, did that make you nervous at all, having that many, shall we say, gray hat hackers in the building um, while you're also taking care of institutional security and what have you? I, I'm I'm much happier that we host Black Hat instead of DEF CON, that's for sure. But, you know, I, I think most of the people there are actually pretty good. So we, we obviously are on heightened alert uh, during that week. And, and I live in, in Mandalay Bay uh, during the week of Black Hat, just in case anything uh, funny goes on. For, but for the most part, it's just it's a great time to catch up with friends. And, and uh, you know, it, it's a good almost like having a live red team exercise inside of your building. And, and, uh, you know, it, it keeps my sock guys on their toes, but for the most part, everybody's pretty well behaved and it, it's a fun time to catch up with, you know, everybody that I've gotten to know over the years. Yeah. It's, uh, actually thoroughly enjoyed the last time, uh, when we presented together, we did the, the movie clips on, uh, on stings and, and uh, famous con movies and and how they related to security. That was a that was a blast. Uh, so you do get to have fun at least, right? And and I guess if you live and breathe security, uh, this isn't a bad thing. I you know I do. And by the way, it was a great idea that you had. So it was a lot of fun to participate in that. And and you know also I think it is it's kind of fun from my perspective because I think a lot of people think in a, a casino you got like a Ocean's Eleven environment going on all the time, and it, it's probably not quite as exciting as that. Um, but, you know, it is one of the things that's really 
I cannot tell you how energizing it is to be associated with a brand like MGM, you know, where we are doing Cirque du Soleil shows and, and oh, hey, Ricky Martin's coming out or Cher's coming out or whoever and, and getting to see that kind of energy and vibe. And, and we're also always changing, right? So we're always mm-hmm. trying new businesses or, you know, new ways to service a guest like doing self-check-in in the hotel and, and things like that. So it's just always super interesting. It is a lot of fun. I enjoyed my time at JCPenney. Uh, but this is a, a lot different than selling uh, dress shirts and in jeans. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> it certainly, certainly, there's a, a lot more fun that we have here. That's for sure. And and do you do you bridge in your daily responsibilities the physical and the sort of logical or digital uh, security? You know, we we cooperate. It's such a you know our properties are so large. So you know, ten of the twenty five largest hotels in the world are ours, and they sit right on the strip, right? And so, in in many cases, they're back to your like your own countries. They're certainly not their own countries; they're their own cities where we have you know power plants and and in dolphin tanks and things like that where we're we're uh, keeping a variety does, yeah. of things yes exactly and so <laughs> we uh you know it certainly um certainly makes it interesting with how you approach it right so it, it was so much easier um in in a retail shop where you know it's fin seven or fin nine and that's all i got to worry about uh there's just a whole wide variety of things that you got to keep in mind um as you're putting your programs together but the physical and and logical thing you know we help each other out but boy he's got a he's got a big task and it's funny we stare at each other a lot and say man i'm sure glad that you're responsible for physical or he says i'm sure glad you're responsible for cyber because it would be quite a task for one guy to have them both Mm -hmm. here that's for sure yeah, that would be a massive, given the sort of horizontal responsibilities or shall we say um, businesses that people play in um, at MGM and uh, almost literally, um, it just, it's a huge domain. I totally get it. Um, I'd like to shift gears before we dive more into the business side and maybe talk about some of your personal um, background here. Uh, open question, how did you get into security? What what made you say, or did that ever happen where you said, hey, this is for me? Um, how did you get to let's say JC Penny and to here. You know, I, I would love to say it was a master plan of mine. It was totally by accident and happenstance. I was a, uh, I'd been a CTO at a, at a dot com and then I was a CIO at a, another dot com. And, and they were, you know, as, as most, you know, dot coms were back then, you know, they were under billion dollar corporations. And it's like, wow, I'm ready to be a CIO at a much bigger organization. Maybe I should go learn some security. So I, I did some security work at a, it's a Fortune 500 as a director of security. And like two weeks into the job, it's like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I'm all in, right? And so I totally switched over and, and you know, worked my way up at that organization. Um, and then, you know, was fortunate enough to step into the CISO role at JCPenney. And then after six years there, I uh, got the call to come out to Vegas and and have been doing it ever since. And, and I'll tell you, it, it's funny because I... Um, I've had a lot of, well, would you want to go back and be, you know, the CTO or CIO? And it's like, like maybe if you give it to me in addition, but <laughs> I would never want to give up the security side of it because it's just too interesting and too challenging. Yeah, I, I've done the same thing. I, I've, I've taken CTO or CPO in addition to CSO, but my, my heart and soul is, as with you, all in on that. So, yeah, I totally get it. Um, and just to give a, a sense of... Um, 
how, you know, how you think uh, on your, your personal time. Uh, some of us, you know, try to get away from our job. Some of us still live it afterwards. I know you're a sports fan. I, I think you're a Broncos fan and, and a Longhorns fan, but uh, my heart's in hockey. Um, I think you like the Golden Knights, but is there, a, is, there a, is there a sport or a game that you think kind of has synergies to security or reflects the kind of struggles that we have in security? Is there, is there one that just feels na- you know, natural to slip in and out of? Uh, you know, I, 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 football is certainly not the one that I would line up. It's, it's an all out smash fest all the time and all that. I actually think hockey is a good one, right? Is it, it, you know, there's, there's, it's constantly changing. I mean, what other sport do you actually have people substituting live in the game? Right. Oh, yeah. and, 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 constantly and that's feeling, how, right. Exactly. It's how I feel all the time. It's like, well, crap, just when I thought I understood this technology over here, like you're introducing all this other new technology that I totally don't understand. So I got to keep up with it. And, and it requires team participation, but individuals can stand out. Right. Mm. And so I, I think it's, as I watch it, it's a lot like that. Uh, that, you know, the, the rules are complex, uh, to an outsider, it's not always easy to explain what's going on. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's something that I love watching and you're right. I've become a huge hockey fan. And Oh, by the way, I think the golden Knights are like second points and not the division. Yeah. I think the league, I think that would be yeah, right. That That is correct at the moment. We'll, we'll see who that <laughs> winds up. But look, I, I remember um, when I was younger, uh, hockey was a religion where I grew up and, um, and, uh, I remember when they introduced the highlighting the puck on TV and I remember thinking, why? Because there was a rhythm and a flow, like a dance where you knew where the puck was, even if you couldn't see it, even if it was too small for the camera and my poor resolution television in the eighties to be able to pick up, you knew where it was. And, and, and then I'd see somebody who hadn't grown up with it, trying to find the puck. And, you know, I can see someone going over the boards and when they go in and when they come out and a good friend of mine used to play for the Quebec Nordiques as well. Um, you know, it's, um, it's one of these things that you, you, you just get a feel for. You get an intuitive computer on and you kind of know moments beforehand when the play is coming. And, and I think it's that way in security too. So I, I, I love the parallel there. It absolutely is because, you know, it's funny too. It, I see in a lot of investigations um, where people almost look at you like a magician, like, how did you know to look there? And it's like, well, I've actually seen this happen like a million times before. And my first supposition was it was over here. Right. And and so I think, you know, back to the hockey parallel, you know, how do those guys know to, you know, that the the shot is coming right to center ice and they're going to kick it in past the goalie and that little postage stamp up in the corner, but somehow they figure it out. Right. And, and I think it's exactly the same way. I think it's again, back to somebody who's never seen a hockey game and you're trying to understand, you know, explain to him icing and how all substitution happens Mm -hmm. and, and what the different lines do and all that super confusing right but once you get into it and really understand what's going on uh it 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 makes it that much more beautiful to watch that's absolutely right same thing and it it absolutely applies to security but it's that intuition it's the you're a combination detective uh you're you understand the intricacies of the game you know where things are moving you're 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 playing at the top of your your game if you will um makes it a bit of a rush so i I totally get why you wouldn't go back to being the cto of a dot-com uh from 15 years ago um that makes exactly and when are you coming out to vegas to watch some hockey that's i I, I have to do that in fact you you have my my wife will be saying you know i heard the podcast and you have to take them up on it um (laughs) 
<laughs> we definitely will. And when you come out for the Massachusetts one, we'll have to get together as well. And, and maybe I'm not a Bruins fan. Uh, to my apologies to my fellow Bostonians. I'm actually a Montreal Canadiens fan. So we'll have to see if they're in town when you are at some point. Um, let's shift gears back to MGM a little bit and talk about the trade-offs between uh, security and, um, and let's say, business risk. Um, do, do you find, uh, and of course, you don't, I'm not looking for, you know, hey, what's good or bad at MGM, but do, do you find a difference between JCPenney and MGM or um, uh, alignment with a, no, with a notion of risk? Because it would strike me from the outside that, the, that your organization would really get it in its soul what risk is. Um, does that make your job easier or harder as a CSO for MGM? I, I think it makes it significantly easier. I, uh, you know, I get a lot of good support um, from the CEO and the COO both, and, and it is. I think you're absolutely right. They get the whole risk conversation, and and we can argue to the degree of which I think the risk is is manifesting itself. But they they get the risk reward conversation very well, and in you know it's how they look at all lines of business. You know certainly it was that that way with gaming, but gaming now is only like thirty percent of our revenue, and so you know the rest of it is coming from all our other businesses. And in in as we've seen clearly, you have to take risks in order to succeed. And so you know I think as long as we can have eyes wide open conversations. We're good, and and I'm actually okay. You know, maybe taking a little bit more risks than I would if I was going to be absolute on risk. Uh, if the business reward is great, and and I think that's one of the things I look at a lot of CISOs, and I do go. It's like you know, for example, you know, I was at one place and tried to get to YouTube, and there's like, like seriously, you block YouTube, and oh, we don't want to take the risk, and I'm like. Well, I know how many hours I save every day yeah. because YouTube shows me how to do things. And, and yes, you can watch cute furry kittens and all those things, right? But quite honestly, the business benefit of me being able to go and watch a five-second video of, oh, this is how you click through and get this program to work properly is far outweighs you know the risk of occasionally you're going to have a malicious video or you're going to have lost productivity. So, you know, it is a constant... I, I think for far too long, uh, CISOs have been such a disruptor in the business. And it's like, that's, oh, yeah. that's not what your job there. Your job is to be guardrails for the organization and help them stay between the straight and narrow. But especially as stuff like DevOps and all that comes out in cloud movement and all that. Hey, if I'm in up front, I can make you move faster because if I know you're going to set it up this way every time, you don't need to involve me anymore. So let's set it up once right and let's move on. Right, yeah, and that's, so that's the that's the nirvana. I mean, we 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 all dream of not being Doctor No, right? Um, yes. Um, so, and 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 do are you seen as a business accelerator? Are you seen as you know essential? It, 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 do they say, hey, we can't have this conversation because Scott's not here, and it's not just to stop the bad; it's also an enable the good conversation. Uh, I think it it depends on the group, right? I, so I think I, I've won the hearts and souls of some, and I think others think I'm probably the stopper, right? And so right. I think it's it's a constant. It's one of the that. things that I tell with my people all the time. It's like, you know, I need my, my second lieutenants to be much more present in the operations so I can spend more time in the business. You know, we we had some operational challenges when I got here, and we've fixed them, and, and the team's pretty good now, and it, it frees me up more time for me to spend with the business, which is really where I want to be, right? I really want to understand the business in order to guard it effectively. I'd like to dive into that about lieutenants a bit because, uh, you know, we've talked about this in the past, you and I, how 
the biggest problem a CISO has is alignment with the business, and and the, you can't both keep your hand deep in the business in in the in the in the tech side, as well as sit at the business table and, and have conversations beyond the CIO. Um, at the same time, I mean, we can all try, but we all got here by having some degree of proficiency. Lieutenants are essential. Um, can you talk a bit about how you recruit them and mentor them, and and how you really trust them if you do, and how you give them responsibility as well? Yeah, I think you know mine are invaluable, and you know I've been fortunate enough. I'm I'm extremely happy because two of the people that work for me at, at JC Penney's have now taken on CISO roles of their own. And, you know, no, that's I, super I exciting that to happens. see, right? It makes yeah, our you, job, yeah, our job is to get them up to our level. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it makes you feel like, wow, you're, you're <laughs> maybe occasionally I stumble across that I'm doing the right thing, right? And, and, and so I think, you know, what I like is, yeah, I, you know, what I want in a second lieutenant, I want you to come and look at me and say, hey, Scott, I don't think you're thinking about this right. And, and let me mm-hmm. tell you more about this technology or let me tell you more about what I know about the business or whatever. You know, I, I came here three years ago. I'd never worked in gaming. I didn't understand how we have to take some of our technology by the gaming commissions and get them approved and all those things and what the laws were around that. If I didn't have a second lieutenant who really understood that really well, um, it would have taken me forever to get up to speed. But, you know, sure enough, within, you know, six months to a year, you know, I, I think I understand it as well as anybody. And, and, you know, she's taught me a lot, which is incredibly valuable. And so, in and, and two, you know, I think you got to rotate your second lieutenants around. So, you know, maybe your, uh, you know, your risk management uh, VP has been doing it for a while and it's time to ship them over and let them run the SOC in operations for a while and then ship the SOC guy over to run compliance for a while so they can all see what each other's jobs are and get them prepared to rise to the next level. Yeah, it's uh, almost uh, the renaissance rounds of, of being a security person. And, you know, that truth to power is such an important thing. Uh, you know, the... Um, it, it, conflict is a is a especially with constructive tension is an important part of our jobs and our lieutenants' jobs, right? They've got to be able to tell you the unpleasant things because because nobody else is going to. Um, I totally get that. Um, speaking of mentorship, do do you have any mentors even now? I mean, I'm a big proponent of always have a board people you turn to for advice and who know you. Do you have any that you look to people either that you respect in subject matter or? For coaching advice or as a as an example of how you want your career to progress or to help you with that? I have like 15, 20. I mean, <laughs> that's good. I, that, that's I, richness I, right there. It, it, well, it, you know, it, you're a great example, right? I mean, you, you've certainly taken a different career path than I, I. I love having conversations with you and, hey, am I thinking about this right or whatever? And, you know, I have some that are more along the lines of, of, hey, I'm just having, you know, organizational dynamics issues, right? Mm-hmm. And how do I fix that? And and it's not necessarily a former CISO, right? It's a former guy who ran, you know, IT operations at my last organization, and he was mm-hmm. really good at it. And so, you know, I, I have like, it's, it's like a Swiss army knife of mentors, right? Depending on what I need some tuning on, um, those are the guys I call. But I, I think it's super important. I, I don't think enough people do have mentors in, in quite honestly, you know, security is, if it's taught me anything, it's that you can't do it all on your own because it's just too much. Right. And so, you know, you really need that network support group of peers and all that, that you uh, can help mentor you. And, And quite honestly, as you rise higher in the ranks, 
I think there's also a moral obligation for you to seek out people to be mentors too and help grow the whole industry. I, I couldn't agree more. I just had a, a colleague of mine who we submitted to a, a conference, a paper to present together. And they responded with, yeah, we'll take you, but not him. And I'm like, no, no, you, you don't understand. Like the, the most important thing here is that somebody's going to learn how to do this. Um, you know, it's uh, this is not about us getting more things on our LinkedIn page. Um, it's in yeah. fact about bringing up the next generation, right? Uh, had enough of those presentations. Thank you, right? Um, yeah, I love I love to hear that, and um, and and maybe change gears a bit. Um, uh, still on the the people t- uh, side of things, you know, it, it often gets overhyped how hard it is to find people, and there's so many quote open jobs, and and while it's both true, it, I think it's one of the one of those things that's maybe overemphasized and underemphasized at the same time. Um, how do you find recruiting and do you have a high cadence of recruitment or do you go to any unusual sources to find talented people? Um, you know, I, I look at the university some and, and they're helpful. Um, and, you know, I think the other thing though, it's always a question I ask during the interview is, is, you know, like, how do you learn? Mm. Which, you know, catches a lot of people off guard and it's like, well, I mean, all kidding aside, I, I try to, it's, it's a goal. Some years I meet it, some, some years I don't. I try to read 100 books a year. And, and the reason being is because I think your, your brain is a muscle and you always got to be exercising it. And, you know, if you're going to get into security, it's going to change all the time on you. So if you're not exercising that muscle, um, then you're probably not a good match. And, and I read a really interesting study. I think it was by Accenture that just came out with it that said, especially people going into the tech field, mm-hmm. um, typically by the time you finish your four-year degree and you're in the job for four or five years, everything that you learned in college is irrelevant. I'm surprised it's um, that long. I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I would, I, you know, if you're not constantly riding that edge, I would imagine it would be more like a year and a half to two years and you'd be out of date. But yeah, exactly. no, I believe so, that. So I, I almost look back to, I think I was very fortunate. Um, I, I, I have it back. I have a degree in physics. Um, when I was about midway through the program, I realized that there was no doctorate in physics forthcoming from Mr. Howitt. I just did not have the aptitude to do it and all that. So I switched over to Bachelor of Arts instead of Bachelor of Science. I actually think it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I got a real Renaissance type education and it, it, prepared me better for the business world than I think if I gotten a totally technical um, thing. So I, I look for people that want to learn. Anyway. Yeah. How, how, do we not, how do we not uncover the fact that I was also a BS in physics and switched to arts? I did um, not know that. I did not know I, I'm, I'm, I'm multilingual. I did linguistics, but I, my, my, my original studies were in physics. And then I actually switched to literature. And I, I heard you say books a minute ago and I'm like, ding, ding, ding. I need, I, we have to talk books more because, well, I don't have a, I'm a voracious reader and, and most of it I do yeah. on my flying time or before bed because I have kids and I know you do too. Um, uh-huh. But I, I, yeah, I'd love to maybe in a moment ask you a, about books more directly, but I had no, no idea that, that you had a, such a similar background. I love physics, but I wasn't going to do that for a living. And uh, I love, I love I love the written word, the spoken word, and uh, it seems like a lot of us have wound up in security. So that that's awesome to to have found that. You know, it's funny the CISO over at Win, uh, almost the exact same thing. He was a physics major and decided to be a theater major as well. So he got a double major. It's like physics and theater. That's not something that you typically put together, right? No, it's uh, not. But 
<laughs> I, I, so with physics and literature, I, I actually wanted to be a science fiction writer. Uh, well, I wanted uh, to be a teacher and then a sci-fi writer and realized that, yeah, it takes a while to build that career up to be enough. And, and security was an accident for me, but this is more, more about you. Um, so so you, you had the switch as well. And I imagine both skill sets have served you enormously. It's right and left brain, right? Exactly. Yeah. I think it, it helps you mix it up so you can, you know, so when I take my Myers-Briggs, um, I'm, I'm horribly a 29 out of 30 on the introvert scale. Um, but I do, you know, a lot of public speaking and I'm out in the public a lot and all that. And people are like, Oh no, you're not, you're not really that big an introvert. It's like, Oh no, I'm a no. huge introvert. I've just learned yeah, how to overcome it. Energy. Right. Yeah. You're, you're getting energy when you're reading and when you have some alone time, but that doesn't mean that you're not actually very adept at some of these things. Right. I mean, you have social skills, you're good at presenting and you also get energy in your recharge time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. You got to find that balance. That's for sure. Excellent. Um, let's talk about risk a little bit here. Um, maybe, maybe we use the, um, the, the riff off of what we just said. Uh, you know, um, it, it's, the notion of storytelling is important. Um, I heard uh, one of our colleagues, um, uh, actually in the pharmaceutical in- industry, a CISO there, I won't mention Mike because I haven't asked for his permission, but um, he said, if you're going to talk to the board, find the technical person, take them out, show them your metrics, your KPIs, your plan, and then get them on board. And then when you turn up, put all that in the appendix and have a story with one slide, tell a story. Um Maybe you could talk a little bit to what degree you do or don't use storytelling in in communicating risk or analogies. Uh, to what degree um, does uh, does that play a role in expressing risk within the organization? Because it's only so many hours. Uh, do, are you in fact a, a storyteller, and is that a useful skill set when you when you go and talk about risk? I think it's a, it's a really effective skill. Um, so it's funny because what I, I typically do with my board is, you know, security is a journey, right? And, and I think everybody understands that. And so you can't come in and wave your magic wand or, um, you know, and, and though every vendor would tell me that they have the magic wand or the silver bullet. None of them do. It's a lot of hard work and understanding your environment and setting everything up right to protect it, right? And so... I, I typically actually plan out my stories a year in advance. And so where I actually say, okay, you know, I've got 15 to 20 minutes with you. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story that you can consume, help you understand why we're doing it. And then when I come in the next time, I might remind them of, hey, remember what we talked about this last time that we were together? Well, here's what we've done to build upon that. And mm-hmm. so I remind them of where we were and where we came to, and it, it seems to work very effectively. And it's actually interesting because now they want to spend more time with us saying, hey, maybe we need to take a deeper dive into some of these other things so they, they can understand it. And I think when you just go into a board and you throw a whole bunch of metrics at them and, and yeah. things like that, it just it's not effective. And I do, I you know, I, I all kidding mm-hmm. aside with my people, it's like, you know, you, you need to put together like – you know, the big pictures for in, in, in quite honestly, you know, people consume pictures much easier than they do words. So, you know, put a few pictures in there to help them through it. And then, you know, I write up the narrative separate and, and I just give them the narrative when I go in and, and it's, it seems to have been a, effective with both boards. Um, you know, I don't get a lot of, they're very interested and they're very supportive of the programs instead of getting a lot of pushback on them. 
Yeah, the the one thing I, I'd be I would just counsel in addition to that is that is that you really have to know your audience because uh, I had a I did that once and there was one person in the room who happened to be well I'll say who it was it was my boss Art Coviello at the time and he's an ex CFO <clears throat> he's left handed that was a big sign of which side of his brain was dominant and uh, for him he saw numbers he didn't see pictures but by and large you're right. I mean, you've got to know, is there a technical person you have to get on site? Is there an operational or execution person? Is there a, is there somebody in the CFO background kind of gave it away on that one, right? Um, is there maybe slightly different learning methods that are going to take a bit more time to bring to the same picture? Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you and that that's highly useful. Um, and, and by the way, the job is really about, I mean, our job, I think, is to get the organizations to take the right sorts of risk. You're never going to get rid of it. Um, right. So are, are you able to um, bring that uh, notion of IT and security related risk with your peers on the physical side to the higher level risk discussions for MGM to the finance risk, operational risk, legal risk kind of, is that all one pool or are they treated separately for you? Uh, uh, we're just now starting to bring them all together. And I, I think that's awesome, right? Because I, I think, you know, the, the fiscal guy's done some good work. I think our treasurer has done some good work, right? And, and, and so now we need to bring it together and yeah, it, it is more effective. You know, uh, <laughs> casinos have a lot of CFOs. And so, you know, we, we speak the language of, of, of math and accounting very well. And that's one of the things I'm trying to get to is exactly your point. You know, I would like to not do traffic like risk, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a nice, it's a, it's a place to start, but I would rather do, here's what I think potential impact is the EBITDA, right? Like if this went yeah. down for X hours, here's what I think our impact to EBITDA is. And again, it's not to say that I'm always right and they can certainly challenge me on my notions. Um, and in fact, that's exactly why you want to have a committee like that is to, you know, let's all argue it through. Let's, let's get the business to weigh in. Let's get the operations to weigh in, you know, and, and, and talk those things through. So yeah, we're, we're getting there. I wouldn't, you know, I, as with everything, it's a journey as well. Um, but I'm really happy with a lot of the work that's gone in and, and, you know, again, I, I think, you know, gambling is, you know, they, they talk about it here is, you know, a roulette wheel or, or a slot machine is a little bit more gambling. It's just a game of chance. I think it's, it's more like poker that it is a game of skill and you are taking some chances, but you understand the percentages, you know, the really good poker players understand the percentages and the risks. And so I think like that old court case went down of, well, if you think poker is gambling, why don't you go ahead and put your money where your mouth is and sit down with, you know, some of the top poker players in the world and see how long your money lasts, right? And it's because they do understand the risk and where to place their bets. Yeah, they, they understand the equivalent to the hockey game in the card game. And, and you've touched on one of my favorite subjects, which is poker. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of games in general. Um, and I think you're, I think you're a big fan of poker too, right? Is, is that your favorite card game or is it one of them? Uh, I, poker is by and far and away my favorite card game. Right. And, and I think you've got rules about where you can and can't play poker with respect to MGM properties. But, uh, something we're doing with this podcast series is I'm asking folks who are interviewed if they would take part in a CISO poker game at some point. And, and this is where I ask you, Scott, would you join us for a, to be in a, in a CISO poker game, either at a, at a conference or an event at some point? And of course, we'll, we would probably record that for the listeners. Would, would you care to join us? I would definitely uh, be more than happy to join you. 
and uh, you know maybe we could do it in the MGM property. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I uh, I wasn't sure what the rules were about you being able to do that or not, but uh, if so, uh, we, we'll probably take it up on you and, and maybe look for one of those conferences uh, in your neighborhood at the time uh, if we can if we can make that work. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be a lot of fun. Excellent. Um, so uh, I, I, we're going to approach a, a little bit of a wrap up here. I just want to um, any, anything come to mind that you think. Um, uh, you know, on the subject of of going all in in security, uh, going all in with the business um, at MGM as a as the sort of voice of security risk um, and understanding of being a business person. Um, any last thoughts you think that somebody who maybe aspires to do something similar in their organization to what you've done uh, that you would give as advice? Imagine if you were mentoring somebody listening to this, uh, and any words that you would give there? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say you know stop being such a technologist. Um, you know, I, I'd say the the CISOs that I admire most are not necessarily the most technical. It's the guys that really get their business and go in and understand it. And it doesn't say that you have to give up the technical side of it. You know, I, I work with all of our manufacturers. I'm on almost all their advisory boards. Um, you know, I understand the technology, uh, but my, my hands haven't done anything useful on the keyboard for years and years and years as far as <laughs> code goes, right? And, and so, you know, spend, spend more time out of your area with your people and spend more time going to lunch with the business and seeing what they're doing and what drives them. Because when they see you as somebody who understands the business and not just technology, then you'll start to be a real partner and you'll start to become very effective in the business. And uh, I'm going to ask one more question because I can't resist it. And we touched on the subject earlier. Um, and I tell you what, I will answer it first to give you a little bit of time to think. Um, <laughs> either what book are you currently reading or what book would you uh, recommend to someone that is a little bit renaissance um, in any discipline or subject on the next plane ride that they consider? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll offer mine to give you just a moment to think. I uh, I'll do I'll do two. Um, I'm 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 really a big fan of some of Marco Kluse's military sci-fi, good fun, um, terms of enlistment, and some of those books. And I also just reread A Wizard of Earthsea for those who like uh, science fiction and fantasy, um, because the struggle of the main character I think is kind of indicative of what a CISO has to go through. And if you haven't read it, uh, go check it out because it's a short book by Ursula K. Le Guin. And if if you have read it, you probably know what I'm saying without me giving any spoilers. But Scott, any books for you that you would recommend to the audience? You know, I just finished, and I know it sounds very uh, painful because it is a five book series, um, but it was, it's the Conqueror series and it's about Genghis Khan and and it's um, by Khan Ilguden is the writer and it's about from starting it, uh, uh, Genghis Khan going all the way to Kublai Khan and how, how the, how the dynasty, um, kind of took over for, for what most people don't get was the largest empire that the world ever saw. Oh, right. Staggering, yeah. yeah. And how adaptable they were with each of the cultures that they dealt with is just a fascinating read. Something I obviously, uh, did not know enough about. Um, and then, you know, I, I think one of my, my all-time favorites is um, uh, The Forever Wars. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the science oh, fiction classics, that's for sure. Oh. Yes, yeah, the, exactly. the Forever War was, is, is unbelievable. Um, I, you know what? The Conqueror series has been on my to-read list, and I have a, a long series of flights coming up, so I'll, I'll add that. Uh, I also recommend some non-fic for you. Um, Kenneth Harrell did a 
uh, from Tulane did um, uh, a course on the Mongol empires and actually the steppe empires. I'll see if I can get it for you because it, it, I use it as an audiobook in the car kind of thing because you have to pay attention. Absolutely phenomenal description on the nonfic side about that, but I'll check out the Conqueror series as well. Yeah. Thank and, you so much, Scott. This is awesome. Yeah, go no, ahead. No you, problem. You say something? Well, I was going to say there's one more book that I would suggest since we're on it that I'm reading right now. And so if you thought Snowden was interesting, um, it was it's called The Panama Papers. And mm. it, it was written by uh, two authors from Germany, Obermeier and Obermeier, spelled differently, but same, same last names. And, I won't uh, ask you it, to spell the two different spellings because people <laughs> can Google that. Yeah, yeah but it, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating how they got all the information out of all those banks. And, and uh-huh. again, back to the, if you think you have any secrets a minute, they go electronic. Um, all bets are off on how long those secrets will last, right? Yep. Dispersal of information is an inevitability, right? Either that or it's ultimate destruction. So Scott, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to taking you up on a visit out there or next time you come here and looking forward to playing poker with you. That sounds like a plan. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks, Sam.